Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Empowered Birth Podcast. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Heather Whitley. She's a CPM in Utah. And we had a fantastic conversation about free thinking, about making decisions with radical responsibility and kind of stepping outside of a system that doesn't always work to our best benefit. We also talk about addressing cultural norms around birth. It was a powerful conversation. I'm so excited for you to listen to it today. But before I get into the show, I want to tell you about my new book called Finding Joy in Pregnancy and Birth. And is your mind racing with all the decisions you need to make? There's countless decisions and it can feel so overwhelming. Do you struggle with the intrusive and anxious thoughts? Well, you're not alone. You are not the only one. But I want to tell you about this new workbook that I created just for you to help you find joy in your pregnancy and birth. And this is coming from a Christian perspective. I share my story of my C-section and my three home births, as well as give you prompts to help you break down specific fears surrounding pregnancy and birth and find freedom. So learn how to take your thoughts captive and have a blissful journey to and through motherhood. You can find the book by clicking on the link in the show notes below or going to empoweredbirthpodcast.com and clicking on the tab shop. Now, I want to introduce you to Heather Whitley. She's a busy home birth midwife in Salt Lake City, Utah. She's been practicing for 12 years while raising her family. She educated her children at home for 15 years and was an adjunct instructor at two midwifery colleges. Most of them are off or out of college. She channeled her spare time, vast clinical experience, and love of teaching into creating the Midwife Companion online course. It's designed for pregnant women in OB care who seek more dialogue on pregnancy testing and options than they're getting in a 10-minute FaceTime with their OB from a combined clinical and holistic viewpoint of a successful midwife. So check out her course. You will find all the links to connect with her in the show notes below, but let's get into the episode. I know you're going to love it today. Welcome to the Empowered Birth Podcast. I'm Allie McLean, registered nurse, home birth doula, and former feminist. My mission is to guide you into the freedom that is God's design for femininity, birth, and motherhood. There's a movement happening of powerful women uniting around finding out God's best for us. You're going to find information here that you won't find in your basic childbirth education class. You'll hear stories of women and birth professionals who are experiencing the redeeming experience that birth can be. You're going to get all the information you need to confidently navigate your way from pregnancy to postpartum and beyond. Are you ready to go on a Holy Spirit empowered adventure? Then stick around. You're exactly where you should be. Hi, Heather. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on and have this conversation today. We were kind of talking about beforehand how I think that we are so similar in a lot of beliefs. So I'm really excited to engage in this conversation. But before we do, would you just give a little introduction to yourself, who you are, what you do? I am Heather Whitley. I'm a licensed midwife, uh, CPM in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. Practiced here for eight years. Prior to that, I practiced in rural Vermont. 
I have five children of my own and I'm probably one of the busier Salt Lake midwives that does not have a birth center, but I do have privileges at one. So I can do both home birth and birth center because the laws are great out here, but primarily home birth and really just excited to be here and chat about all things birth. Yeah. So would you tell us how you got interested in birth? Yeah, it really wasn't until I started having my own children, um, which is back my oldest was 1999. And I was in Vermont. Home birth was not on my radar. I'm not sure if it was on my radar, if I would have gone that route. I was probably eight months pregnant seeing a female OB and thought that was a step in the right direction, seeing a female OB. I actually think now that I'm a professional in the industry, sometimes female OBs can be really tough on women. It's really interesting, that dynamic. but. It was my first Amazon purchase ever, 1999, the Bradley method of natural childbirth. And it was really eye-opening because it was like an expose on what goes on in American obstetrics. And so I just started asking questions like, how many C-sections do you do here? It was a rural hospital in Vermont, a small one. But the question that was the clincher for me is, how many episiotomies do you perform here? And she said, 95%. (gasps) Some vaginas are meant to stretch and some are not. And it was like... And that was it. Like the switch flipped for me at eight months pregnant with a first baby that I should be a ruthless consumer and shop facilities, shop providers. So again, home birth, like I didn't know anyone who did that. It just wasn't even in my scope of thinking at that time as a consumer. So I just went to different hospitals in the region, found a group of nurse midwives I fell in love with. One in particular I really liked and she's who delivered me. And I had all big babies, like nine and 10 pounds, but that first one was over nine pounds, no tearing, no episiotomy, no repair needed. It was a long, hard birth, but all natural. Like I had to fight for it in a way women should not have to fight for a natural birth in the hospital. In fact, I was in an article in the newspaper in the Bennington Banner in rural Vermont because I was the first hypnobirther ever to go through there, I think. That was the start of like realizing how important this is for women. And it was probably two years later, I home birthed my second. And I found a midwife who I felt comfortable making that leap into. She was still doing all the diagnostic testing and wasn't really ready to let any of that go, you know, or my attachment, not understanding it or anything. She was great, but it was highly individualized care. We're still friends, you know, 21 years later. And um, she did my first home birth and my husband and I looked at each other like, that was so much simpler. There was just a lot of drama and trauma in the hospital birth after baby was born. Baby was down the hall. The midwife who I loved was going in after my placenta. Remember, I didn't have epidural, so I could feel every bit of it. And I was like, what are you doing? And she said, let go of my arm. I'm getting your placenta. (laughs) So it's like medical rape, right? Like even by a midwife, a nurse midwife. So it was like a no brainer. We looked for another option, even though we still didn't know anyone who had home birthed. It was super fringy, but we did it. And I just said afterwards, more women need to know about this. More women need to look at this. Like it's crazy that more women don't look at this like first. And so um, that just began like the drumbeat. And it was by my third pregnancy, 2005. Yeah. That I entered midwifery school and started. That was almost 20 years ago, I guess. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. And I think that's how a lot of people get into birth is because we experience the magic that happens. And we're like, we have to tell other people about it. And I think sometimes it can come off as like, 
judgy of like, oh, well, I had a home birth. And Mm -hmm. it's like, that is not true at all. Literally, when you experience the magic and the spirituality and just like the power that is coursing through you, you're just want to share that with the world. And so, well, and I don't even, for me, it was recognizing the lack of informed consent that's going on in the medical facilities, having gone through that model and then having informed consent offered to me every step of the way through a pregnancy and immediate postpartum. And I was like, that was the piece for me. It wasn't mm-hmm. the magic and the spiritual that a lot of women resonate with. It was the informed consent piece. So they mm-hmm. just don't, they're not securing permission from women. Yeah. You know, can I go in after your placenta? I'm about to pull it out in chunks. You know, and what was oh interesting gosh. is when I pulled that medical record years later to see like, was I hemorrhaging? Like mm-hmm. what justified baby being down the hall, my placenta being manually extracted and everything was charted as normal normal spontaneous Uh-oh. delivery of placenta yeah. <laughs> like that is not what's happening but that's how the physicians and doctors and nurse midwives are experiencing what they're doing it's like this yeah. is normal yeah. this is just what we do yeah it was the informed consent piece for me I know when I had my first c-section I was like if I could save one woman from experiencing what I did and the trauma that I experienced I know that I will have done my job And then through the years, that's where you experience something completely different. And you're like, there is a better way. And Mm -hmm. even Mm -hmm. if interventions do become necessary, you will have had the informed consent to make that decision. So that really is an important piece. And I love that you, that like, that's your focus and that's your passion. And so as you're going through midwifery school, was there something that clicked like slightly before or like what happened in midwifery school that kind of solidified your desire for teaching more women? Because I think sometimes you can become a midwife, you can become a doula and you can be sucked back into a system that really isn't helping women. So was it something that happened beforehand, just your birth, or was it something in midwifery school that really solidified this natural birth desire. I mean, I'm going to say it was probably going through my own births, even my home births with, with the different midwives. I'm school. Like Mm -hmm. once I got into school, it was like blinders were on. This is what I knew I was doing. And it was just was very like academic and getting through all that. And then also as a student, I worked for 11 to 15 different midwives across the country just to get my clinical hours in and numbers in to sit for the national CPM exam. I think for me, like I just had lots of different midwives, like the midwife who I loved, who did my first home birth, she was actually strung up in Vermont for a bad outcome. And that was actually what part of really drove me. I felt like they took a good midwife out of that community. She did not have a good legal team. I think had she had that legal team they had in Nebraska, she would have been okay. But I think she was just as succumbed to the the machine with it all. And that was really what compelled me to step into something difficult that they had strung up two midwives in that community in 10 years. And I, I said, this is unjust. And I decided to step in and just try to be collaborative with the hospitals as best I can. The one that would launch the, just like in Nebraska, it wasn't the families that launched the complaints. It's the physicians. Yeah. And so I would try to be like, I'm going to do, I used to be a money manager and I was a stockbroker in my twenties and I would manage money for doctors and physicians. And I'm like, you know, they put their pants on the same way as we do one leg at a time. There's nothing special or scary about them. And so I just felt like I could take a stand and I was willing to speak their language and also take a stand for women that this option is really 
important and just to keep in the community. So, I mean, for me, that was really what it was, is feeling like it was unjust what was happening in my community and wanting to fill the hole that was created instead of shying away from it. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, that takes a lot of strength and power and bravery to step into something like that because it's not easy. I know coming from Nebraska, it's really difficult to see how many women desire to have home births and yet there's nobody Mm -hmm. to help them because they are being attacked. The midwives are being attacked. And, you know, it's funny because the system thinks, well, if we just take out the midwives, women will stop home birthing. It's like that will not happen. There's going to be four of us that step up. Exactly. There will always be people to help and there will always be people Mm -hmm. home birthing, women who choose to home birth, and you're just taking away care at this point. I think when states are like that and hospitals behave that way, it creates a very dangerous situation for the home birth community, both the women and the doctors, because we know the midwives in those environments are more likely to bring in a train wreck because their mindset is, I know if we go in, my woman's going to be mistreated. I'm going to be mistreated. I risk jail. And I'm going to try to ride this out at home and fix it, right? So like they have that decision tree in an emergency situation because it's unsafe for them to go in because there's not this good community circle of care happening. So I can really identify with what that must be like. And I had some hostile hospitals in Vermont for sure, but I would, you know, and I've just felt like, you know, I came from a Wall Street career. So I was really good at documenting and really good at like charting. And I really good at informed consent. And I would just take a stand and say, this woman has received proper informed consent and I support her decision to blah, 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 or not blah, blah, blah. And I think like when you can go toe to toe with the physicians, cause you've done your job as a midwife and you've stayed within your bounds or stayed within your scope and you don't bring in a train wreck, you bring in something cautious, conservative, it's hard and uncomfortable to do that in a hostile situation, but I think it's really important important that midwives do that. And I think like, I just feel like I can relax as a midwife in a place like Utah, where it's very sophisticated here. The paramedics are sophisticated that come to us. They see us all the time. We go right in high risk OBs, take us. And I call ahead and say, we're coming in. And it's like red carpet rolled out when our women get in and they try to give them a natural birth. And they often do. So it's really a magical place here. In fact, it's very collaborative between the Utah Midwives Organization and the maternal fetal medicine, like people that they're like, let's have a transfer form. So when you come in, we have one sheet of paper, we know what we're getting without going through the whole chart. So there's intentional collaboration on transports, which is really cool. And then vital records holds us accountable to that. They're like, this baby transported. So we want to see your transfer form. So there's like accountability a little bit. I think what makes it safer for women is when you have that collaborative care and when Mm -hmm. midwives are not coming in scared, right? For, I mean, a lot of times physicians are making decisions for the patient based on their insurance policies (laughs) and midwives can do the same things where they're making decisions based on the fear of going Mm -hmm. into the hospital. So really in neither situation is it good for the parent. So there has to be a better way. And I, I think I've seen midwives be as guilty as la- of lack of informed consent on the other end of the spectrum as docs. So I think we do have to find that happy ground and having a safe community to be in is important, but that's not, not the reality. So it's like, how do we solve the problem in places like Nebraska and New York, where 
the laws are really antiquated and really anti-woman, really, they're very misogynistic. And it's like, how do we make this safer for everybody? Because it's going to exist whether they want it to or not. It will never go away. Exactly. It's always been and always will be. Let's support the moms doing that. I love that. Well, let's kind of switch into talking today about culturally accepted norms around birth. We hear so many different stories and we all come to into pregnancy and into labor with our own ideas of what birth is, but a lot of times they're influenced by the culture around us. So can you speak on what are a couple of the culturally accepted norms that we see around birth? And then we can kind of talk about how to address those or how to rethink about those. I mean, some of it is culturally different across the country a little bit, but I would say it's that overall kind of conveyor belt mentality about how people view the medical model. We really saw it the last couple of years, and I I don't know how it was where you were, but here in Utah during the COVID era, the midwives got very, very busy because people Mm -hmm. just were like starting to question people that would not in the past have normally questioned the medical model. I mean, these are people that were raised going to the pediatrician, you know, every three months, every six months and getting the routine, well, baby checks and well, children checks, like all the way through childhood. And, you know, I had a lot of parent friends who the minute their kid gets a dripping nose, they're into the pediatrician. Right. And it's kind of like, I think, that's the mentality of most people putting the decisions of like basic healthcare things that aren't even that serious, as you know, as a mom, mm-hmm. you know, multiple kids, you know, mm-hmm. um, a kid gets a 99 fever. We can probably ride that out, <laughs> but there's an awful lot of families that are like, get scared by that and feel like they want to outsource just normal, like knowing like what's normal and what's not normal. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to assume this is normal unless it gets really serious. And then I'm going to go to the hospital with my child. It's really like, I think the way we could handle most things in childhood, but I think the culture is just putting the trust and decision-making and the power to tell us what's best for us and our children and our families in the hands of the medical professionals And they really have no training on normal health and wellness. And they're putting band-aids on and giving prescriptions and remedies that are often more damaging than healing and trying to solve a viral ear infection with an antibiotic, right? So like, that's what's happening. But most people are still doing that and choosing that. So I think like that spills over, of course, into the birth world where people are like, it's just easier to be told what to do. You know, I have high blood pressure. It's looking like I have gestational diabetes. I tell women the good news on these screens that we're doing is these are fixable. These are 100% you're in the driver's seat to like reverse these conditions or prevent them. But I even see it in my home birth. People are like, you know what? I don't have the bandwidth for that. I'm just going to go to the doc and have a hospital birth, have it 100% covered by insurance and not deal. I don't want to deal with taking my own health into my own hands. I'd rather be told I have to be induced at 37 weeks because I maybe have gestational diabetes because I failed a screen. And so I see that all the time. Like even people who are going midway through pregnancy with me and we've been working on blood pressure, we've been working on blood sugar stuff. And then they're just like, I'm out. I can't, this is too hard to like take my health into my own hands and this metabolic dysfunction I'm having and fix it. They just want to go to a doctor and be told what to do, you know? Yeah, 
I do know I was one of those women and I was, <laughs> so I, I totally get it. But what happened, like for me, I had to experience my own trauma that came from putting responsibility into somebody else's hand before I kind of woke up to the fact, yeah. wow, I can do hard things. I'm not sure where this cultural norm came from where, well, it is too hard for you. So let's go to a professional who you have to pay lots of money to, to give you something that you could do at home. But Mm -hmm. abdicating that responsibility never has benefited anybody. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And it's not even what happens in the medical system. Sometimes it is. I mean, I don't think they approach health holistically most of the time. And so I don't think people are healing. I think they're covering up a lot of things that are going on underneath. Mm -hmm there was so much that you said that I don't even know where to go with all of that because I, <laughs> all I know is that I feel that very, very deeply. And I have come out of that. And I know so many women did, especially during this COVID time we had, I think it was in April of 2020. So like the shutdown happened and yeah. People are like, oh my gosh, what do we do? Like, I want my doula at my house at the hospital. I want my partner to be there and I don't want him, you know, having to get COVID tested. And then there was all of this stuff happening where the mom, like if she tested positive for COVID, then her baby possibly was going to be Mm -hmm. taken away. And they're like, I don't want to do that. So Mm -hmm. in Nebraska, which home birth is perceived as illegal, it is not illegal, but it's perceived that way. So a lot of people are like, that's not even an option. We right. I had set up a Zoom interest meeting for home birth. And we had like over 30 women come to that meeting. And they're like, we need help. And there was only about two women who were willing to just be present with these women. But it definitely, a lot of people started waking up during that time to being like, well, I want to avoid the hospital because I don't know what's going on there. So Mm -hmm. when did that happen for you? What was that switch for you where you were like, I want to take responsibility? Was it just your birth or was there something else that happened that you were like, this this is it? it was going back to when the state of Vermont strung up my midway. Mm, it's like, yeah. this is not okay. Yeah. And I remember like, I had like a therapist at the time or an energy healing guy. I was do- spending a lot of time with in my thirties, like to just do some personal growth and development. And I was kind of going through, cause I was quitting a corporate career to, mm. to do this. And I just felt so pulled. It really is a calling, I guess. I mean, yeah. And, and I just, and I remember he said to me, why don't you just be a doula? Like, it's a lot less, you know, you're, you're this young mom, you've got third kid on the way. Like, why don't you just do doula? It's a weekend workshop. And I, I just said, nope, I want all that clinical responsibility. Like I mm-hmm. want all that knowledge. I want that. And I, I just felt like the community was robbed of a very skilled pulled together midwife who was wildly successful. And I think the doctors understood she was very successful for a reason. And it was just unjust. I felt like they, it was very unjust. And so, and I, I was familiar with the case and I just said, I, you know, her and I will still talk. It was just poor legal representation because she did not have, I had her watch what was going on in Nebraska mm-hmm. and she almost cried. She's like, if I just had had that team, I'd still be practicing today. Yeah. I mean, that was really it for me is just, and it, it was scary to come into like the depth of knowledge that we have to have, but also like it's, it's doable because 
we're just dealing with normal women. So, you know, as long as we become an experts on normal, so the second we're out of normal, we try to fix it. And if we can't, we go, we go, we go in. And I think it was just too compelling not to. And it was so life altering for me to go through the transition and that experience and that waking up and you know, I was my first kid who was born in the hospital. I was going to the pediatrician all the time with ear infections. Mm-hmm. And it was my midwife who said, why don't you just take care of the chiropractor? And I was like, what's that? And I did. And, you know, because the pediatrician and antibiotics weren't working, probably because it was a virus. And they were talking about surgical tubes. Take my midwife's advice, go to the chiropractor. And he's like, get her off dairy for a few days, did a light adjustment. And ear infection went totally away went back to the doc to confirm it was gone. And I never went back to the pediatrician. I have five kids, some into adulthood that have never seen a medical doc. And I'm really proud of that. Like, I'm glad they're there when we need them, but we really don't need them for most things and that we think that people think we do. And so I think that really, I I wish that knowing and that wisdom and that it is a leap. I had, we all have to do it at some point. And this eye-opening, like for me, it was probably the pediatrician not solving the problem and a chiropractor fixing it, right? And, but loading up my kid with a ton of meds that wasn't helping her and talking about surgery. That was probably the eye-opening thing. It was at the same time I was in home birth midwife care. So it was just this journey of this process. But, you know, I go through it with women that aren't quite ready. It's kind of like I can feel their one foot in, one foot out, and they're still like, and for them, it's going to be better that they go to the hospital. They're not, it, it really takes like a full time commitment to get that first vaginal birth done at home. If they've never vaginally birthed before, it's really, really hard. So I never push. I try to never like, I know exactly what their scenario is going to be when they go back because I'll get their calls like a year later. I just had a sit down with a woman who spent half her pregnancy with me. She'd had a first C-section in the hospital came to me, but it was a big leap. This whole thing was a lot. And I think she was started to freak out mid-pregnancy and she went back to the docs, ended up with a second C-section. And she called me a year later. She's like, can we process that out? I'm really regretful that I went back, but I really need to like help, help myself before another pregnancy, really get my mind around this. So I, I made it okay for her to have done that. I mean, that was the right decision for her at the time, but I really, I mean, the word midwife is just walking with women. Mm-hmm. We can't haul them by the necks or the throats into what we know is good for them yeah. and that they're going to be happy with. They have to really find their way on their own. Yeah. Okay. And now it's time to share one of my sponsors with you. After my first birth, which ended in a traumatic C-section, I started researching literally everything, including things that go in and on me and my family's body. I started getting rid of everything, first starting with cleaning products and then over-the-counter meds, but makeup has been the hardest thing for me to replace. It seems as all the natural makeup is in powder form and with the type of coverage that I like, it just was not cutting it. That's when I found Araza Beauty's all-in-one coconut cream foundation. This foundation actually improves my skin while providing sun protection and, of course, even coverage. With a dewy finish, almost like a BB cream, it's perfect for everyday wear. Plus, it's packed with ingredients like jojoba oil, probiotics, antioxidants, and zinc oxide, which provides SPF 28 coverage. 
I also love that Araza Beauty is a woman-owned and dedicated to giving back to victims of domestic violence. I feel great about supporting this company, which makes it super luxurious makeup even more satisfying. Now, I recommend with starting with the foundation. See what I did there, foundation? <laughs> you won't regret it. Just to make it easier for you, Araza is giving my listeners a special discount of 15% off. So go to arazabeauty.com and use the code EMPOWEREDBIRTH at checkout. Which a lot of times it does take a lot of heartbreak. I mean, I've been through my fair share of going back and experiencing heartbreak and not just in the birth world, but in the medical system as a whole. And it took me a while. I mean, to figure that out. But I love that you could walk with them and process with them. Cause I I've done the same with a lot of women who are like, what happened? Like it wasn't even that it was a bad birth. Sometimes they go to the hospital, like I had a vaginal delivery, but I still feel so broken inside. And like, why? <laughs> Tell me what yeah. happened. And so just sitting and processing kind of lead her on a totally different path than what she started out as and that's powerful because it influences every single area of your life once you accept that radical responsibility. I had one client call me a year after and I thought she'd really get her first birth done at home with me. And the transfer rate in the published medical journals on transfer for first timers is like one in four. That's like the North American statistic that out of four people, first time vaginal birthers planning to home birth, one in four will go in and have a hospital birth. And this one woman ended up just, we were stuck at like eight centimeters for a long, long time. And she ended up going in and getting an epidural. And I sat with her postpartum and she really weeped over all that, not really making sense of what happened. And like a year later, she's like, can we have tea? I finally figured it out. And we sat together over tea and she said, I never really told you, but my husband wasn't really on board with this. And I think my cervix knew. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I thought I could control it. I thought I could, it'd be fine. But she's like, I never really revealed to you like the depth of his like concern that we were doing a home birth. And he seemed fine to me. Like I didn't pick up on anything. So it was really interesting. It took her about a year. It seems like it takes women about a year. It is. Kind of put, yes. <laughs> the it's together. I always try to really help them feel like it is what it is. Like yeah. you get the birth that you need at the time that you need it. And, you know, it's then your next one's going to be the one that you really want and deserve. But, you know, it's just a journey and everyone's journey is really unique into this. Yeah, well, that's beautiful. I've also, it does seem like that year mark. It's like something clicks for women. They've because it's something that you it sticks with you. I remember after my first one, I thought about it daily. Like it affected me on deep, deep levels. And uh, I've seen that for other women as well. And I've gotten so many calls about it a year later being like, hey, can you like tell me what happened? And yeah. so we just walked through that. But I love that you equate it to a journey. It really is a journey and you can't just get to where you're going like that all the time. But I can look back at my first experience. And even though it was, you know, a terribly traumatic birth, I can be thankful for what I went through because at that time I learned so many lessons that made me the woman I am today. And so mm -hmm. nothing is wasted. Nothing is lost no, in those sure. experiences. So I love that there can always be a redemption aspect of birth. Mm -hmm. And we can look back and be thankful for experiences that make us who we are. So 
How do you help women be free thinkers in your care? Is it they're already free thinkers and then they join you in care because they that matches you? Or are you finding women, you know, want to be in your care and want to learn about that free thinking radical responsibility? Or do you have a mix? Yeah, it's gotta be a mix, but I would say the women that are going through the whole journey with me are kind of coming in eyes open or opening and really open to this new way of thinking about things. And I love it when I see their eyes perk up. If I go over like, okay, so next month, what's coming up is your gestational diabetes screen. You can say no to it. Here's what happened if we miss it, you know, in a home birth situation, here's ways we can test for it. Here's how the docs would test for it. I can do it that way if you want, or there's a nicer way to test. So I see their eyes, like no one explained this to me before. No one gave me these options. And I love the women that can appreciate that. And those are usually the ones that we kind of stay on this journey together with. I want to pull them by the throat sometimes, but I just can't. And I, it's really heart wrenching for me. And sometimes it's a relationship breakdown. If they are like, you know what, it's, this just isn't for me or they're, they're just, but I'd rather them find that out before we get to the birth. Yeah. Cause I think that's their underlying subconscious sentiment is going to show up at their birth. Mm -hmm. So I would rather that they figure out how to be two feet in. And I do kind of screen for that throughout their pregnancy, that if someone who's super anxious and they're calling me every Friday night at 10 o'clock about something, I've had clients doing that or Sunday something. I feel like I got to, I saw on one of the midwife boards, it was like, I feel like I got to go to the hospital for them to check my baby. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. like when they were in midwife care and I I feel like women who are doing a lot of the spiraling, they're probably not ready to make this leap yet. You know, and I'm overgeneralizing. We don't have all the details on over those cases, but you can kind of start to sort of see the women that know in every cell of their being that their intuition is really spot on and going to tell them, inform them if something's not right and that they need a different course of plan versus the women that are really caught in their anxiety. Mm-hmm. They're probably not the best candidates for this quite yet because they're just up here and they're not in their bodies yeah. really, which is where we need them to be. So they can really be aware of what's happening in their bodies and communicating that to us authentically. So yeah, I think women who I want to be like, you know, like, and you're okay. You know, like let's, we can do this walk together, but there's a lot of women that that want to, but they're not quite there yet. It's a really lovely, gentle process together when they're already kind of in it. If that makes sense. I don't know how much influence I have over people to open their eyes. I kind of feel like I'm just reinforcing with things I say that it's safe to wake up and safe Mm -hmm. to think about these things differently. Sometimes like I don't feel that influential over women. I'm just yeah. kind of there reinforcing what they already know. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think we're all, you know, at different places of our journeys and we're all there for a specific type of women. And I know my heart is like, I want to help people wake up, but and I'm not yeah. ready to be in the midwife role at this time, you know? And so yeah. I'm like, how do we get women there? Like, I just want yeah. them to wake up to the fact that they are so much more powerful than they think they are. And their intuition is an amazing tool that will carry them through motherhood. And it's just my heart's desire to see more and more women kind of 
step outside of that cultural norm of relying on everybody else to tell them what is good, true, right, noble, all of those things and be like, wait a minute, I can know this because I have access to that. Yeah. I have to always check myself and make sure that I'm not having a God complex about all this work and feel like that I'm coercing women into Mm -hmm. this. Like I know things become very predictable. Like I'm going to let this doctor tell me I have gestational diabetes, even though I haven't had the test for that. You know, like I am going to switch and I'm like, well, if they're going to induce you at 37 weeks, you want a natural birth, but you're going to end up with it. You know what I mean? It just becomes really predictable how it's going to go because it's, I've seen it hundreds of times over, you know, over a decade and, but it's okay. Like I have to just, I think detaching from whatever their journey is, is the highest form of love. When I feel myself getting like too invested in their outcome, you know, in terms of helping them along this process and helping them to feel safe in this process, that becomes coercion, which is what Mm -hmm. the doctors are doing. So I really just, I'm constantly trying to like, let go and be like, okay, like I totally Mm -hmm. I'm not going to debate you on the merits of what that OB told you. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a good word. Yeah. I think asking pointed questions too are good to just help like, oh, did you have that test for gestational diabetes? Oh, what is a normal, you know, kind of asking these types of questions to get people thinking of, wait a minute, is this right? But then, like you said, you know, at some point detaching not only helps yourself from that emotional heightened feeling but also it is very loving to just not coerce and let them do what they're going to do and then it's a beautiful loving thing for sure it's hard it's it's like mothering right like when your kids get (laughs) how old are your children are younger right yeah they are I have a seven five two and a four month old so yes okay yeah (laughs) so mine range from nine to 23 so it's kind of like this constant letting go that you're doing even as a mother of older teens and adults it's it's the letting go that's very very hard you know as as a mom or midwife but um Yeah. And I think like everybody finds where they're supposed to be, you know, and I think it's really joyous for me to serve women who really believe in themselves and believe in what we're doing. And I don't have to coerce them or convince them or teach them or show them. I can sort of reinforce. I'd rather be reinforcing than being the one to open their eyes. I love that. You're definitely doing what you're supposed to be doing at this time. I fully believe that. Could we go back for a second? I love that you brought up one of your clients, when you were processing that emotional problem with her husband kind of really Mm -hmm. impacted her cervix. Can you speak more on that? Because I think we don't really realize the power of emotions, the power of our deep-seated thoughts and circumstances Mm -hmm. around us to impact birth. I think a lot of people kind of go in and like, well, you said birth is normal, so I'm just going to go and have a normal birth. And they don't do the deep inner work to release a lot of things that are in there. Can you just speak more to that? Well, sure. And I think like I'm always as a midwife, when I know my clients are watching all these home birth videos with all the kids in the pool and tons of like a party around lots of people. And there's lots and lots of videos reinforcing that that is normal. And that is how home birth goes. And I have like, there are so many influential, wonderful, amazing midwives who are also like perpetuating that a little bit. Like, look what it can be. Your kids can be in the pool. And And I'll tell you both as a birthing mother and doing this work for almost 20 years, the conversations I always have with women 
as they're preparing for their birth and thinking about their birth space and who they want in there. I mean, the women I've seen that can totally get away with that, they have almost this unique ability to completely dissociate from their kids. Like there'll be kids doing cartwheels like next to the birth pool. And I'm like, this is going to be a really long birth. And this woman will just crank out like a really fast birth. But knowing like those clients that have done that, they're able to compartmentalize what is happening. A lot of us cannot do that. Like I love the idea of my kids being around, but I was so thinking of, are they okay? Are they hungry? Are they thirsty? Like, what are they thinking about me? I couldn't stop worrying about them when I was in labor, that my labor was going nowhere. I mean, I was clearly in transition and my midwife checked my cervix on like my fourth baby. And she's like, you're a zero, you're a one. I'm going to go make a sandwich. (laughs) And we had to get everybody out of there, everybody out of the room. And then 20 minutes later, I have a baby, right? Like with privacy. And I've seen that in my own clients too. They'll be an 18 month old and there's no family support around, you know, a couple new to the area and there's nowhere to go with this 18 month old. And this 18 month old is running around and the woman is suffering, clearly like transition like, and she's like, can you please check me? I mean, I love, I never check services if I can help it with women who've delivered before, because you can go from zero to a baby in 20 minutes. And I checked her, this was about a year ago. And she's like, I'm like, you're a zero. I can barely find your cervix. And she just starts weeping. And I'm like, let's get the toddler upstairs and try to like clear the space. And sure enough, we made a baby really quickly after that. But the cervix will stay closed. And I think if you have nervous mothers, nervous mother-in-law, or even just that text that comes across, hey, your water's been broken for a couple days. Like, aren't you getting nervous that you're still at home? I've seen that really obstruct a labor. And I'm like, turn the phone off, shut it down, like get rid of the kids. And then we have a baby. So the cervix is so primal. It's like breathing. There's nothing you can do to force it open. It's like rubber concrete is the only way I can really describe what a cervix feels like that is not completely dilated or open yet. So it just has wisdom. The cervix, and you know, if you think about it, like a deer in the woods, right? A deer will separate from the herd to go give birth in a field, a meadow somewhere. And then a pack of coyotes comes. The cervix is designed to be like, nope, not today. So the deer can run, get away from the coyotes, go back to the herd. And then when it's safe a day or two later, go back out into a clearing, private away from the herd and give birth. We're the same way. That's why women go to the hospital and their cervix will often retreat or completely close or retreat from an eight to a five. So it's like, Whenever the cervix perceives threat or danger, even if it's just somebody is in the space that had their own birth trauma and they're bringing their fears in, they don't even need to speak it. It just needs to be in the room and the cervix knows. So I'm always telling people to be very cautious and strategic over who they have in their birth space because I really encourage privacy because most mammals need privacy when they give birth. And the couples that have privacy usually have the easiest, shortest labors. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I've i been through that too personally and have seen many women who will have people around them and it's just like their labor will go nowhere. And for me, like you were saying, these beautiful videos, like they have the pretty music and the lights and it's like oh my gosh it's so magical and you think that is the ideal and then you attempt that for yourself and like you were saying everybody is so different for me I wanted everybody and their mom to be with me because Mm -hmm. I'm like well I'm going to show them that like this is a good thing 
And then yes. I was so yes. in my brain that whole time. And I think I labored for like 26, yes. 28 hours. And it was totally awful. Totally. Yeah. I'm guilty of the same thing. Like I wanted my kids there. Therefore, my in-laws had to be there to take care of the kids. And my labors were so ridiculously long, even with babies three, four or five, where that second baby, my first home birth, it was private. My mother-in-law came to get my oldest child and it was so fast. I don't even remember my husband being there. It was like just the midwife team and it was five hours door to door and there was no one there. None of my kids, no family, five hours. And then I went back to these 18 hour things again with my third, fourth and fifth because I just had too many people there. Because they fell into the trap of thinking this is what home birth is. And and I think midwives would do service to just get people thinking strategically. And one of my assistants says, add an hour for every person type of labor. Yeah, I've heard that too. You know, it's kind, of, kind of true. So yeah. I think being strategic, it's a strategic decision. I mean, I don't care who's there, but it's more strategic. So the woman isn't suffering unnecessarily yeah. if she can just have her baby. Yeah, I know. I just said this last one. I have a four-month-old, like I said, and... I have learned each time, like if I'm going to invite somebody into my space, I'm going to be very intentional about what I want them to be doing. And this was the first time that my mom, I had asked her to be there. And part of what I wanted her there for is because anytime somebody would come into my house, I would feel like I need to feed them. It wasn't my kids, my kids. I'm just like, my husband can take care of them. But it was like, my midwives, (laughs) photographer that, you know, like I just want them taken care of and I still wanted pictures. So I'm like, okay, well, if my mom is there, I know she'll feed them. I know she'll clean my house. I love that. She'll take care of my kids. (laughs) And then when I'm in active labor and like deep into labor land, like they can come in and I won't even know, like, I guess I won't, I can't even tell. (laughs) Totally. Yeah, totally. That strategy really that. does matter for sure. And, and we love being fed. The, the birth right? love it when there's a grandma there who's like got the food. And yeah, no, we love that too. Oh, it was the best. <laughs> I remember hearing her do dishes and just being like, like, I'm, ah, she's I'm got okay. The- yeah, my house is yeah. okay. <laughs> it was yeah. so special. So I love that. But oh man, I feel like we could talk forever on, on this specific thing because I think it's so is important for women to realize that there's so much more that impacts birth than just a physical part of it like there's the emotional and spiritual aspect of that but if people want to connect with you how can they do that I know you have a course can you speak a little bit on that yeah sure I have an online course that I authored about a year ago called midwife companion and you can find that on my website or any of my social media which I'll tell you in a second but the course is really perfectly designed for people who aren't quite ready for home birth or home birth midwife, feeling comfortable with the OB model, but it will take you through a pregnancy. So it's not a childbirth prep. I mean, it's going to get you thinking about these things. Some of these things we talked about on this, on this episode, but it's going to walk you through diagnostic testing from the perspective of a midwife. And it's perfect for people with OBs because it's going to arm you with questions to be answering. It gives you informed consent that your OB is probably not doing in a seven to 10 minute meeting, especially yeah. if it's your first pregnancy. It doesn't matter if it's your first or third. So um, I, and the goal is that you start thinking, wow, I didn't know midwives did these tests or talked about them or had this much knowledge. And you start looking in your own communities for a CPM or community midwife and look at your options. So that's the end goal. But if not, it's going to walk you through your pregnancy and give you a little bit more handholding than what you're getting with your OBGYN, most likely. So you can find me on Instagram at Sego Lily Midwife. 
And then the website's the same, sagolilymidwife.com, S-E-G-O-L-I-L-Y. It's the Utah State Flower. And Heather Whitley, if you just search up Heather Whitley Midwife, it'll take you to all my stuff online too. Yeah, I will make sure to put all of those links in the show notes. So go check her out and check out her course. It's, I'm sure, so fantastic because it's really needed. I think a lot of people have this misconception that if you choose home birth, you don't get any testing. You don't have anything. And that companion guide for people who are not quite ready is just an amazing tool that we need. So thank you for that. But is there any last piece of wisdom that you can leave with my listeners? Anything that is just on your heart to share? I mean, one of the things I just that perked up when you said what you did is one of the biggest perks of home birth is that we love you to stay in bed for the first two to three weeks mm-hmm. after you give birth. Those of us that are in states that regulate us, we're licensed to care for normal newborns. So we can entirely replace the pediatrician for those first six weeks if we've got a normal newborn and we'll come out to your home and do the same screens that the hospital does before discharge where the pediatrician is finishing up at the one to two week mark, hearing screen, heart screen weight checks, jaundice checks, bilirubin, blood work, metabolic screens, those heel pokes. We in licensed regulated states are licensed by our states to do all these things. And we do it right at your bedside, which is really cool. So you're not packing maybe a two week old or seven day old in the car and then getting a breast infection afterwards. So it's kind of like let your midwife come to you. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. So it would be a great way to introduce people into midwives. So the course does talk about some of those things so people get thinking about that because it's it's a perk. It's a perk to home birth. Yes. Staying in bed is amazing. Like you just have a baby and you go fall into bed and you know you don't have to get up for like two weeks if you don't want to yeah. or longer. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I amazing. love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And I just appreciate your wisdom and what you do for women where you're at in the state. So thank you so much. I appreciate you. Well, thanks for everything you're doing for the movement. I think it's really important. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Empowered Birth Podcast. This was such a wonderful conversation. I so appreciated the wisdom of Heather and I'm so excited to talk with her again. I hope that you can take a little piece of wisdom from this episode and apply it to you today. If this episode was helpful or any of the other episodes I've released, would you please take a quick second and just leave a rating and review? It really helps this podcast move and reach more and more women out there who are looking for an empowered birth. As always, stay empowered. Stay empowered.